All right, let me pray. God, thank you for giving to us, giving us your son, giving us yourself, and inviting us to do likewise. So I pray that we would do that, that you would woo our fearful hearts with a smile, with grace and power. Amen. We are continuing in our summer series called Together. We're asking the question, what are we doing and why, right? Today, I'm going to talk about giving, actual money stuff. That sound fun? Some of you, it's your first visit, and you feel free to sneak out right now. But the thing is, there's never, a, you know, we're always going to push it here. And we're going to talk about money and specifically about giving to the church. And it sounds a little self-serving, right? Yeah, I bet you want to preach about that. But here's the thing. All my sermons are self Yo, did that turn off? No. When I encourage you to love one another, that serves me. I like you loving me. I want you to love me, and I want to love you. Jesus talks a lot about money. And I want to tell you that in the last 11 years that I've been a pastor, not once has anyone ever confessed greed to me. Never. I mean, I get all kinds of stuff confessed. Never greed. No one ever said, I'm greedy. Now, why is that? There's a blind spot there, which is, I think, why Jesus talks a lot about it. And so I'm going to talk about it. We're going to talk about giving, and particularly what it looks like to support our local church. But I'm just going to tell you the context of my week is similar to all of you hearing about Afghanistan. Now, in one sense, there's always some kind of calamity in the world, right? But this burst upon the scene this, this week in dramatic fashion. And I'm watching things, listening to things, reading things like this. This is one of the things the Taliban is reportedly doing. The people, the Afghan, Afghan people, must mark their house with an X if they have a girl over 12 years old so that the Taliban can take them. For what? That's freaking heavy. <laughs> and I'm reading and looking at stuff like that. I'm like, kind of preach on giving to your local church? Like, it just seems so petty. If they find a young girl and the house was not marked, they will execute the entire family. <laughs> I'm literally like talking with my, my wife and my daughters, like, what would you do? Get all Second Amendment up in here is what we would do, I'll tell you. <laughs> but actually, so you see this tension. I'm like, oh, I'm going to write my sermon about giving to your local church. And then nations totter. And kids are hauled off. And the horrors. And I'm like, God, it seems petty. And here's the thing. It's not petty. And so I want to do two things. I am going to teach on giving to the church. And then I'm going to pivot from there to giving okay, to what actual giving is, all right? So Proverbs 3, I'm going to back up a little later and, and go more broadly, but right now I just want to zero in on verse 9. It says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, right? Honor the Lord with your wealth. What does that mean? There's, there's a lot there, you know, like not stealing, being generous. There's, there's a lot here. You could do a whole series on this. Let me just put it this way. Generally, it means this. Let the relationship to your money be such that it gives God honor and glory. It makes him look important. Value him with your valuables. Or here's another way I put it. Let your budget boast in God. Does your budget boast in God? If someone looked at your budget, would they say, wow, God is valuable to them? Let your treasure be his pleasure. There's another one. You can tweet these things out. Go ahead. 
There's this idea that we are to, like he says here, honor him and even says, give me your first fruits. Give me the first fruits of your produce. You know, this is a highly agricultural society. So a lot of what they're doing is just farming. That's their wealth. He goes, give me some of that. Your first fruits, the first stuff right off the top. And so a couple questions here. Give to God. How do we give to God? Like, why do we give to God? Does he need? Is he hungry? Does he need vegetables? Does he need money? He has no need. I have driven that point home, right? He made the earth and all that is in it. He has no need. Why would we give to God? My kids still do this, but when they were really little, like toddlers and maybe a little, little older than that, on a birthday, say it was my birthday, my wife would take them to the dollar store and say, pick out some stuff for Poppy, right? And they'd go and pick it all out, and, and then she would pay for it with my money, and then they'd present it to me. I have no need. What if I said, this is useless? Why are you giving this to me? I don't need this. You would think I was a horrible father, which I am, but not for that reason. I have no need in that moment of that for those things. But we both have a need to express affection. That's what's happening here. Part of it. Express affection. God has no need, right? He doesn't need us to bring him things. But we need, we have needs to come to him, to express affection, to display allegiance, right? To honor him, to display his value, to express trust. It's part of what we're doing because we are fearful. We are fearful. And money can be a tool that we use to hedge up that fear, right? Got enough savings. We got enough cushion. And God is saying, one of the things I want you to do is right off the top, before you do anything else, trust me. Show yourself, your family, the world that you trust me. That's what's going on here. Because we want control. We're so afraid. In C.S. Lewis's book, Paralandra, it's a great book. Here's this, it's a fantasy where there's this character that goes to Venus, which is called Paralandra in that story. And there's a couple there. It's an Adam and Eve couple, the woman and the man. And they haven't fallen. They're innocent. And Satan is tempting Eve, the Eve character, to fall. And that's the basis of the whole story, right? But it's this water world is what it is. It's this, instead of a firm earth here, there's these kind of marshy vegetation islands that float all over the world, and they're just carried by the seas, and that's where they live. Except there's one place on the planet called the fixed land. It is firmament. And their command, instead of do not eat the fruit, is do not go to the fixed land. Why? The woman explains it this way. Because the, the human that traveled there asked her, well, why don't you go to the fixed land? It seems a lot more preferable than just floating around on the waves. And she goes, how could I wish to live there except because it was fixed? And why should I desire the fixed except to make sure to be able on one day to command where I should be the next and what should happen to me? It would be to reject the wave, to draw my hands out of Malel deals, that's God, to draw my hands out of God's and to say to him, no, not thus, but thus, to put in our own power what times should roll toward us. Read the book. 
You see that? We are afraid. And God wants us to ride the wave, the wave of his care. And one of the ways we do that is right off the top, we honor him with our wealth. And accept the wave. Lean into it. We give to God. Now, the reality is we we give everything. All of our money should be used to honor God, right? He says that. Honor me with your wealth. Yes, give me your first fruits, but also honor me with your wealth. Be responsible. Be diligent. Be faithful to your responsibilities. But that first chunk, he says, it goes to me. Now, how do we do that? Does he have a Venmo? How do we give to God? We give to what he cares about. And what does he care about? In this category, I would say he cares about charity and he cares about his church. God cares about charity and he gives about his church. cares about his church. So we give to charity and we give to the church. This is one of the ways we honor God with our wealth. God says it this way in Proverbs 19. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Interesting. Why? Because God cares for the poor. And so when he says give to me, it's like, well, where are you? I'm there. Give to them. That's giving to me. Charity. And sometimes I've heard people when they talk about giving to the poor, even like when you walk, someone's in the street, right, just asking you for money, and you're like, oh, well, what if they squander it? Well, then they'll be just like you. They may squander it. That's not what's at stake. What's at stake is do we trust God? There's a wave. What's going to happen? What are they going to do? You don't have to answer that question. Just ride the wave. Just give. And to give to the church. This is very clear in the Old Testament when we see the people bringing their offerings. And even when God built the tabernacle, do you remember he gave instructions and then people had to bring their belongings to God. Listen, this is Exodus 36. They, the builders, received money from Moses uh, and they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. And they still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing. And they came and said to Moses, the people are bringing much more than enough for doing the work the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more. He had to preach a sermon on to stop giving. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> not to do anything more for the comp- contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. Wow. <laughs> That'd be something, huh? Response time? Like, we're entering a time of response. And what it's going to be is me and Glenn fighting you off the offering box. Is this just enough already? <laughs> but the Old Testament priest... In the, you know, that's where you would give. You'd give to the sacrificial system. You'd give to God's temple. You'd give to his workers. And that's how they gave to God. In the New Testament, it's a little different. We give to God's mission to the world through the local church. That's what we do. God funds the mission through us. So let me just put it bluntly. If this is your church, you should help fund it. That's the way it is. This isn't complicated. And I want to let you know, I'm not speaking from crisis. We just showed the uh, pledge funds. Good. Going good. Keep it going. Our, our giving through COVID stayed pretty normal. And you might, well, it'd be better if it grew, I guess, but some churches went under, right? We didn't. And I preach it from crisis. I'm preaching from the scriptures, right? I'm preaching, I believe, what God has for us. There's always room for improvement, though, right? 
There's always room for improvement. Some need to grow in generosity. Some need to start. When I'm meeting with people, sometimes I'll ask the question, tell me about your giving relationship with the church. What's that like? And more often than not, it's a, well, now here's the thing. Am I lucky? Am I just lucky? Like, I'm just, like if I asked 10 people and 10 people said, uh, or eight, I'm just kind of getting a sampling here, right? What's that mean? It means there's room for growth, right? Or sometimes I'll ask people, do you value what you receive through this church? And they say, yes. Okay, who's going to pay for that for you? Someone else. This is our thing, right? This is our church. This is our mission that God has given us. We fund it. The facilities, the stuff. This is your stuff. Did you know that? When you leave membership, you get to take one microphone or cable with you. I'll let you know that. It's got your name on it. This is your stuff. Stuff doesn't just fall out of the sky. We fund the missions, and we fund the staff. We fund the staff. Glenn, me, Dirk, Joe. We're not funding him anymore, but, but we were. Why? Because we've said to these men, do this. Leave other options and come and serve these people, and they will pay your rent. And they will buy you cars. This is the way uh, Paul puts it, 1 Timothy 5. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. That's a financial term. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. That would be an injustice. It's an injustice. So again, I'm not speaking from crisis, but some people need to repent. It is an injustice to attend a church to receive blessing, to expect people like me and Glenn and Joe to labor for you all week and not contribute. Now, if you're, there is always an exception, right? You can't pay the bills, you broke single mom, like, yeah, but that's not what I'm talking about. It's an injustice, it's not honorable. Honor God, honor your leaders, give, and I'm going to just, here's the, here's the principle. So here's a real practical budgeting principle Last thing on giving to the church, and then we're going to talk about giving. (laughs) Give your first fruits to the Lord, right? Not your last fruits. A Christian budget has God at the top. It's that simple. You go to write your budget, what's the first thing you need? You think shelter? Yeah, but who's your shelter? You think food? Yeah, but who's your food? You write the budget, you put God, and then you ask him what that number is, and then you ask again, and you ask again, and then you trust the wave. This is a Christian budget. Okay? Enough on that. Let's talk about giving. <laughs> God, our first fruits. What is your first fruit? Is it the first 10% of your income? Is it your talents? Is it 10% of your time? What is, what is actually your first fruit? What's the very first thing you have to give? Simply put, it's not 10% of anything, anything, it's 100% of you. And if we back out here, this is what this passage is about, right? And I'm going to go through it, and I'm going to show you this pattern. God is saying, give me you. That's the first thing you have. Before you have a house, before you have a wife, before you have an education, before you have a car, before you have fruit and money and jobs, you have you. Give yourself to me. Give yourself over. Watch this. Proverbs 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, 
but let your heart keep my commandments. Here's what he's saying. There's a, there's a you that's called a heart. It's the very you that's in you. And I don't want it dependent on other things and other commandments and other teachings. It needs to be given to me. Give yourself to me, your heart to my teaching. Verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. That's the steadfast love and faithfulness of the God. But bind them around your neck. Oh, there's this unity between you and God. There's, right, you're, you're yoked together. His love is a yoke. You have been given over to him. You have enslaved yourself to him. You have bound yourself to him. Write them, my teaching and commandments, on the tablet of your heart. You see what he's saying here? There's a you. There's a you that is. And it's going to be given to something. You're going to write something on that tablet. And he's saying, let it be me. Let it be me, my words, my love, my being. He's saying, let's be together. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Same thing. That's you. Do not lean on your own understanding. Even your understanding, your mind, your heart, all that you are, jump into me. Jump into me. Don't lean on you. Lean on me. In all your ways, acknowledge him, God. Be not wise in your own eyes, your heart. Your understanding, your wisdom, it can't be given over to yourself or to the world. Give it to God. 100%. This is giving. The financial giving flows from that. But this is the real call. To give ourselves. Then, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. He goes on. Verse 11. Do not despise the Lord's discipline because he reproves him whom he loves. Here's the pattern. Give yourself to God. Give yourself to God. Make that your place, your rock, your hiding place, your life, right? Get in there. And then the result is joy, right? Verse 2, the lengths and days and years of your life and peace will be added to you. Verse 4, you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. He will make straight your paths. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Wow. Right? He's offering you joy, pleasure, rest, refreshment, healing. Where is it to be found? In Him. So give yourself completely to Him. Embrace the wave, the wild, wonderful, unpredictable, frighteningly ecstatic, all-encompassing, intoxicating, thrilling shock of abandoning yourself to the waves of God's care. That's what Proverbs 3 is about. Jump in, he says. We desire this. We play cat and mouse with one another. Well, I want a relationship, but I don't know. Yeah. I was talking with someone recently who said, I've been antisocial this year. They had a challenge last year. And he said, I feel myself being antisocial. It's like, makes sense. Been hurt. He has pain. We all do that. And we do that with one another because we've been hurt and we've hurt one another. And so, but we want this still. So we're going to get in church and get in community and join a group. I mean, I'm going to get married. That's dangerous. That's freaking dangerous. But why do we do such a thing? Why would we get married? Because we long, we lean, we want to be united, and that's a picture of love with God. There's an old song by a man named Steve Winwood. Higher love. He says this, think about it. There must be higher love. 
down in the heart, or hidden in the stars above. Without it, life is wasted time. That's why we take the risk, because we long for it, and we know without love, without that level of love and power, life is wasted time. What are we doing? Working, paying bills for what? He says, look inside your heart, and I'll look inside mine. And God's saying, look inside mine. Worlds are turning. This makes me think of things like Afghanistan and the fall of nations. Words are turning, and we're just hanging on, facing our fear, and standing out there alone. But there's a yearning, and it's real to me. There must be someone who's feeling for me. I will wait for it. I'm not too late for it. This is hope. Until then, I will sing my song to cheer the night along. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. I could light the night up with my soul on fire. I could make the sunshine from pure desire. Let me feel that love come over me. Let me feel how strong it could be. Wow. It's expressing the image of God, the longing for this higher, there must be a higher love, right? And we want it, gosh, and we're scared of it. And so God says, yes, you should be scared of it with one another, but I am not like you. I am no man, right? Well, he is now, okay. I'm a God man, <laughs> you get it. But give yourself, that you want to give yourself to that degree, to jump in, to give into that higher love, and God is saying, give it to me. Why? Because all else will fail. Nations will crumble. Afghanistan turned like that. Now, I'm not ignorant. I know it was set up for that, right? But all nations will fall. All nations will fall. Literally thinking of it, my gosh, this could, something like that could happen here. No nation that experienced some degree of prosperity and freedom and then ended up in totalitarianism and oppression saw it coming. And they all thought, it happened so quickly. What would you do? I'm literally, right, talk with my wife and kids. What would you do? So put an X on your door so we can come get your 12-year-old, 13, 14-year-old daughter. <laughs> they want your kids. Wow. Well, we'll see how it goes down if it comes to that. But the way we prepare for that is we give ourselves and our kids to God. God wants your kids. He wants them. Give, tr give them to Him, which means they're not your hope. God is your hope. You're not their hope. God is their hope. Husbands and wives, God is your hope. God has to be our hope. Our jobs, our health, everything will fail. There's nowhere else to turn. The thing is, God is inviting us to this thing, but it's not even optional. There's nowhere else to turn. How much life do we have to live? How much history do we have to read? How much news do we have to watch before it is proven to us without a doubt that all else will fail? There's nowhere else. You will die. That clock is ticking. We put our hopes in these other things. So I was talking to this woman recently who's telling me the story of her kids and how she had put her hope in her kids. And she had told me that she had prayed this prayer. God, all I want 
is for my children to ser- serve and love you. That's a good prayer. That's pretty good. Put that on my list. And God said to her, that's all you want? <laughs> Listen to this. She said, it was not an audible voice, but back, an audible voice back to me, but it was so clear that I wanted that more than I wanted him. He did not scold me. But he told me that in the crushing, agonizing pain of their rebellion, he was going to reveal himself to me in deeper ways. He was drawing me into the wilderness to speak kindly to me and show me the door of hope in the valley of trouble. (laughs) It was years of weeping and crying out as he stripped away my idols. The fear-ridden idol of being a good enough mom, the idol of wanting good kids since they were reared in a peaceful, God-fearing home, he coaxed me near in my anger and fear. And he asked me and my husband, when we were on our knees nightly, do you trust me? And finally, I had to answer, no. This is the war of the soul. Then he showed me that I didn't trust him because I didn't truly believe that he was good. And I was crushed, but he was right. So, let me pause on that and come back. How to read the Proverbs. The Proverbs are basically like law. Hey, do this and get that, right? Hey, lean into the Lord and you'll be blessed. Do this, you get that. Quid pro quo. This for that. The problem is our quid. Make sense? My quid is no good. Got bad quid. (laughs) Right? So that's tr- is that true? Or think of this. I've heard this uh, verse. This is a challenge to people. It says, train your children up in the way that they should go. And when they are older, they will not depart from it. Is that true? Many of you go, well, I, I did it. And here's the question. Did you? See, we, we can't. It is true. But there's only one who can raise his children up in the way that they should go. And his name is God. And he sent his son Jesus to fulfill this. Jesus fulfills Proverbs 3 for us. He gives himself wholly to his father, right? He he has great quid, end quote. Quid end quote. (laughs) It's confusing. Um, He fulfills Proverbs 3. So it is true that if I... Oh, lean not on my own understanding, but give myself fully to God, it will lead to blessing. But I have fears, I have doubts, I don't believe He's good. Okay, the good news is, this isn't the end of the Scriptures. Jesus comes, Jesus dies, Jesus fulfills Proverbs 3, Jesus pays the penalty for your sins, Jesus intercedes, and then He pursues you in the valley of trouble. And he reveals to you that you don't trust him like you should, but he coaxes you and woos you. And that's his quo, right? That's him bringing you along. He gives you himself, and he continues to do that and train you. So let's talk about Jesus, because that's our hope. So when we looked at Jesus, so we talked about us giving, right? We're to give ourselves to God. Yes, that's true. Problem, (laughs) we struggle with that. Okay, good news, God gives himself to us. That's the good news. And he did it in Christ. And he gave us his first fruits. 
Think about that. What did he give us? His scraps? You know, his redheaded stepson? No offense to any of you redheaded stepchildren out there. It's just a saying. You know what I mean? No, what did he give us? He gave us his son. His first. Remember when he parts the skies and goes, oh, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's what I'm giving you. First fruits. And it was his first plan. It wasn't a backup plan. Think of this. We've talked about this before. It isn't like this. God made us and thought it would all be great, and then we rebelled, and he was like, oh, what do I do? Well, I guess I'll have a son over here. I'll send him. No, no, no. Here's how it works. God is with his son, and he says, you are a first fruit. I want to give you. This is the primary impetus of existence. I want to give you. I want to share what we have. We better make a planet. Let's put some people on it that need you. It's not an afterthought. God, is, at his essence, is a giver of first fruits, which is why when we do that, we honor him. We're saying this is what he's like, essentially. It's the essence of his being, a giver of first fruits. We see God's first fruit in Christ. We see God's dedication. He will not fail you. He will not withdraw. Should we have withdrawn from Afghanistan? I don't know. Um, should we stay? Should we go? Should we go back? Should we have waited? Should we have gotten out in a better fashion? Everybody knows the answer to that question. I don't. I'll tell you this, though. Here's what hit me. People are fighting over this. And I'm just over here like, I'm glad God doesn't ask that question about us. He will not withdraw. This is dedication. This dedication. He will not divorce us. <laughs> my wife and I, my wife and I, <laughs> maybe if I said it like that every time, you know. When we were getting prepared to be married, we did some premarital counseling with a pastor, and he said, don't even say divorce. Amen. We left, got in the car. My wife goes, divorce, 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 divorce. <laughs> she will not be told. She got bad quid. <laughs> Right, but God, that's, that's it. He's dedicated. He will not fail us. He will not withdraw. And we see his abandon, right? Like he's saying, jump in. He, look at the cross. This is a picture of a God who is, now when I say abandon, I mean this. Lack of inhibition or restraint. Right? To abandon can mean to like leave someone. Oh, I abandoned you. But to, right, to sing with abandon. To dance with abandon, to love with abandon. What does that look like? It looks like Christ. All in, to the death. This is the kind of giving he gives us. First fruits, dedicated, all in, to the death. So he's saying, this is where you want to jump in. I've jumped in. I've accepted your wave. Right? That's, that's why he's so bloody. Right? Son is going to enter into this kind of relationship with people He's going to end up tossed to and fro. 
And he's like, yep, this is love. Now jump in here. Lean into me. Give yourself to me. So, yeah, give to the church, I guess. Give yourself to God. Like, have you done that? This is kind of, church is kind of like renewing our vows. I trust that most of you have done this, that you have given yourself to God. And then there's this, he's wooing you and continually bringing you farther and further in. But have you, have you? some of you maybe haven't. Maybe you just grew up on this, kids. You're just like, well, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church. You've given yourself. Do you know your parents can't save you? Do you know your friends can't save you? you will, many of you will move away. Some of them will betray you and hurt you. Some of them already have. Only God. He wants our kids, right? So I'm going to go home and put a big X on my door. Say, God, here, here's my kids. That's, that doesn't work out that way. That's not the way it works. You put the blood on the threshold of your heart, right? Anyway, I'm stretching the metaphor. Let's move on. Um, have you given yourself to God? So let's do this. Someone invite the response team up. Um, so musicians, communion, and we're going to respond. We're going to sing. We're going to cheer the night along. What does he mean? I, who knows, really, ultimately, like there's a couple possibilities, but I think what he's saying is that The night, the night of love, when he'll find that higher love, he's, he's singing, he's cheering it along. Like, come on, I will wait for it. I'm going to cheer it along. So we have God. He's given himself to us, but we want more, and we want him to come. This is part of what we're doing, cheering the night along. So we'll sing. It's the time to give, literally. Uh, there you go. There's your text any amount to 84321, and you'll get a response. It's the easiest way to do it. Um. Give to your church. If you believe God has given you a word of encouragement or of revelation for the church today, we ask that you submit that to uh, Glenn, and he'll discern that with you. And we will take communion, uh, which is when we come and remember. It's kind of a renewal of vows, right? Remember what he's done, that he's given himself completely. How much? His self, his body and his blood. That's it. He's got nothing else. Then that, his being, right? So we come and remember that. That's the degree of his sacrifice for us. It's complete and whole. And it's a beckoning in for us to do likewise, to, return, to give ourselves to him. Jesus, with his disciples, teaching on communion, he took the bread. And when he had given things, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup. After they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant and my blood. Come and remember. We'll do something a little different today. I have some lyrics from a song called Jesus I My Cross Have Taken, which we don't sing here enough. Um, so would you give that to me? Yes. It's so self-serving. It's a wonderful song about a band giving it all to God. Right? So I'm going to read it. We have some music and just invite you to just meditate on this. Jesus, 
I my cross have taken, all to leave and follow thee. Destitute, despised, forsaken, thou from hence my all shall be. Perish every fond ambition. All I've sought or hoped or known. Yet, how rich is my condition. God and heaven are still my own. Let the world despise and leave me. They have left my Savior too. Human hearts and looks deceive me. But thou art not like them, untrue. Oh, while thou dost smile upon me, God of wisdom, love, and might, foes may hate and friends disown me. Show thy face and all is bright. Oh, go then, earthly fame and treasure. Come, disaster, scorn, and pain. In thy service, pain is pleasure, and with thy favor, loss is gain. I have called thee Abba, Father. I have stayed my heart on thee. Storms may howl and clouds may gather. All must work for good to me. Soul? Soul self? Oh, know thy full salvation. Rise over sin and fear and care. Oh, what joy to find in every station something still to do or bear. Oh, think what spirit dwells within thee. Think what Father's smiles are thine. Think that Jesus died to win thee, child of heaven. Canst thou repine? Oh, haste thee on from grace to glory. Armed by faith, winged by prayer. Heaven's eternal days before thee. God's own hand shall guide you there. Soon shall close this earthly mission. Soon shall pass these pilgrim days. Hope shall change to glad fruition, faith to sight, and prayer to praise. God, amen. Oh.